This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, the National Women's Rugby League Championship kicks off in PNG. We want to have our girls competing at that level on a week-in, week-out basis in order to be able to participate in other international tournaments and competition as well. Meanwhile, the Akali Tahi named their final squad ahead of the Rugby World Cup. And cross-code football sensation Vitalina Nakorde shows her try-scoring ability isn't just limited to one code. The only thing they told me, the, man, the, man, the management, they told me, just take the ball, run, that's all. All that and more today on the show. I'm your host, Kyle Evans. Thanks for joining me. But first, in some major rugby league news, the Kummels have appointed former NRL Gold Coast Titans Titans coach Justin Holbrook as their new head coach. He takes over from Stanley Tepend as the Kummels prepare for the Pacific Championships, a new competition bankrolled by Australia and involving six countries. Holbrook has coached Coached in Australia and internationally, he took English club St Helens to the 2019 Super League Premiership before joining the Sydney Roosters as an assistant. The high-profile appointment comes as PNG campaigns to be the NRL's 18th franchise. PNG LNG Kummels chairman Wapu Song says Holbrook's appointment will be a boost for rugby league's future plans in the country, and he'll be in action when the Pacific Championships kick off on October 14. Pacific Beat. Staying on Rugby League, where a plan to create a national women's competition in PNG has taken another step forward following the launch of an expanded national women's championship, which kicked off this week. Representative teams from PNG's four regional confederates, Northern, Southern, NGI and Highlands, are going head-to-head at the moment in a round-robin tournament held over the next two weeks. Teams will play three games each, with the top two playing off in the decider on September 3. PNG RFL Operations Executive Yurith Tora says the match will serve as a curtain raiser for the Digicel Cup Grand Final. Previously, would literally be one day where the girls would just come in and play several games. So, of course, that would be quite a lot of stress on their bodies and whatnot as well. So, in preparation for the next level of the game, we thought that it would be better to expand the tournament and also in line with our strategic plans um, and having a women's competition eventually happen in 2025. So it sounds like you've got a lot of the country well represented with these with these teams? Yes. So these teams are actually made up of players from the leagues and different provinces in those different regions. So Northern's made up of teams in Leh, Medang, Sipik, the ones who have been compliant with our PNGRFL rules and laws. Yeah, so they've all... They were invited to participate in provincial trials, and then each province was represented to then play in the confederate trial, who were then selected to make up the confederate team who is now playing here. Would these be teams that would potentially go on to play in a women's competition in 2025? Yes, so that's the vision, that hopefully we will have them playing each other in 2025 in this format, at least for the start-off, and then hopefully under this, with the support of different franchises from the Digicel Exxon Mobile Cup, they'll have those four regions to work out of 
And when we have a finalized format for the women's competition, it'll be this, these four teams, yeah. So it sounds very much like this is almost like a rehearsal for the women's competition that you hope to get underway in the next couple of years in the sense that it's going to be the first time that top-end local girls from PNG are going to be playing in sort of multiple weeks. Is that sort of fair to say? Yes, yeah, that's definitely, that is the line of thought. You know, we want to have our girls competing at that level on a week-in, week-out basis in order to be able to participate in other international tournaments and competition as well. So by introducing that format for our local and domestic competition, that's just our way of seeing that pathway happen so that we can be have that consistent participation at that level to eventually prepare our girls to then play, you know, hopefully in the BMD Cup. And what's the turnout of players been like for this tournament? So we actually have 92 participants, 80 are players and 12 team officials. So each squad is made up of 23 people, three officials and 20 players. And are they younger girls or are there a few veterans in the mix as well? Any Orchids players or anything like that? Yeah, we've got quite a mix. We've got a couple of younger ones coming through. We've got a lot of veterans as well. And we've got current Orchids players, got Belinda Kwasamun, Martha Molawia, Bechiba Awoi, Talita Kunjil. So there's a couple of current ones who just came off the came from the World Cup. And we've also got players who were past Orchids who are also taking part in this tournament. So a lot for the girls to learn off each other as well. And the young energy is also coming through. So excited to see like the talent that'll be exposed here. Yeah, excellent. So this is obviously going to be played uh, alongside the Digicel uh, Cup Finals, which I know has been going on for a couple of weeks now. So it really sounds like starting from this Mm. week, it's almost going to be a bit of a, a festival of football. Yeah, there's a lot happening. So the girls, they'll play their one-off games, the standalone games, sorry, on Wednesday, and then they'll be playing with a crowd of 15,000 people on Sunday with the Digicel Exxon Mobile Cup. So interesting times. So. And look, do you, do you think people are going to get behind it? Has there been much excitement since you've been promoting this? We're hoping that more people will get behind it. I know the girls and their families and their local leagues will definitely be coming out to support the girls. Part of the exposure that they'll have at the Digicel Exxon Mobile Games, though, we hope will help to boost the support based off the PNG Orchids performance last year as well. We know there's been an increase in interest of girls playing, so we're hoping to just roll off that as well and get more people into the game to come and support them because, you know, there's been a big shift in the mindset of seeing girls play. So, And what about the men, you know, the Digicel Cup coaches, players? Have they been sort of really supportive of it as well? Yes, we've had a few franchises who get behind the teams, especially when they're in their provinces and before coming here. So we're hoping to see that, you know, support increase as well. And that's part of the strategic plans for the PNG National Rugby League competition to get the franchises start building those high performance hubs in their provinces and these other programs that will come through those hubs. PNG RFL Operations Executive Yurith Toa speaking to me there about that National Women's Championship, which kicked off at the National Football Stadium on Wednesday. The Highlands Confederate beating NGI 20-12. to Meanwhile, Southern edged out Northern 12-8. And the second round of that tournament will continue on Sunday. That will kick off ahead of the Digicel Cup preliminary final between Garoka Lahanis and the Lay Tigers. Should be an awesome day. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. 
To Union Now, where Tonga's national rugby team, Ikali Tahi, has named its squad for this year's Rugby World Cup campaign in France. Though veteran star Israel Folau did not make the cut due to injury, the 32-player squad will see other players shine, like teammate Anzelo Dudiavoki, who will make his debut at the Pinnacle Tournament. He spoke to Pacific Beat presenter Agitupo on his journey to the World Cup stage. Congrats on making the actual Ikaretahi squad. I mean, what was your reaction when you were named? I was just getting ready. It was a Sunday morning and I was getting ready to play against um, Otago for NPC. I was playing for Spain. I was was just game day (laughs) and Dautai gave me the call and he just wanted to say that I got the call up, made the Tonga World Cup um, squad and I was just uh, froze for a bit. Yeah, because I was just trying to focus on the game for that day. My head was just a bit all over the place. But then after the game, I kind of like sat back, just felt really proud, really happy, yeah, to represent my country, my family. What's the reaction, though, from your family when they found out? They were happy, really happy. I could tell that they were really happy, especially my parents. They're Tongans, so they didn't really show it, show it like that. But mm. I could tell that they are really happy. This is quite a stacked team. What does that mean to you as a young Tongan? It's it's always been a dream of mine, to be honest, to play for Tonga, especially like World Cup. Just a couple of years ago, I was just watching like the likes of Malakai, Fekitoa, Charles Butao, Ben Tame Funa and them all be playing. And then to have the chance to play alongside them at the World Cup is really special for me. Now, you've also given time, you know, you've played for the Moana Pacifica. How much of that time do you think has helped with the upcoming Rugby World Cup? Yeah, it helped me heaps, especially um, playing Moana Pacifica, playing for Hawke's Bay, NPC. Those, those two teams really helped me um, like get to where I am today. Personally, what do you think you'll be able to bring to the team? Just more... Yeah, just more speed into the team and probably, and probably just make the team a bit more pretty, make them more <laughs> more pretty. <laughs> Always need that. <laughs> uh, can I ask, you've got your first game for the Rugby World Cup up against Ireland. What are you expecting and how are you hoping the team is going to go? Of course, I'm sure you want to win. Yeah, uh, yeah. obviously that's, that's the goal to win. First game's against Ireland, so they're pretty, they're a good side and... Just hope we prep real well together and just hopefully, yeah, the rest on our side that day. You think this is the best team that Igaletahi has ever been put through for a Rugby World Cup? I, I don't want to be like biased in that, but I reckon, yeah, this is probably the best team that um, Igaletahi has put um, for World Cup because it's a mixture of old heads and like the um, younger boys coming up, like Manupaya. How are you actually feeling, though? Because there are some legends or veterans, like, say, Israel Folau, who, has, who, who unfortunately didn't make the cut. But yeah. there's the likes of George Moala that's made the cut, too. So how do you feel the team is going, knowing that there are just some people who didn't make it? Obviously, the team's going to miss them. I think we should be able to adapt with um, not having those boys and just, just trusting um, the other boys that are going to be um, like filling in for them. What is your message, though, to even the fans who are, like, following uh, the Ikaletahi? Is there a message you'd like to say to them? Uh, just thank you for all, all the support to every single Tongan, like, around the globe. We're, um, the team will be needing your guys' support um, as we go into this World Cup. And God bless you guys all. That was Anzelo Tutiovaki speaking to Pacific Beat presenter Agi Tupo. 
It is Friday, August 28, and the countdown is on to the 2023 Pacific Games in the Solomons. It's all happening in November, not even three months away. This year also marks 60 years of the Games, and to celebrate, Pacific Beat is running a Pacific Games storytelling competition. Now listen up for this. We are looking for people's Pacific Games stories. You don't have to, you don't have to have competed. You might just have a great story about how you volunteered. Maybe you were part of an opening ceremony dance group. Maybe you met your best friend during the games. The possibilities really are endless. So if you've got a story, we want to hear it. The winning storytellers will be mentioned by producers on Pacific Beat and their stories featured on ABC Radio Australia. Plus, if you're a winner, you'll be paid for your story. The details on how to, for details on how to enter, just head to abc.net.au forward slash Pacific to find out more. Turning to news for just a moment where after years of anticipation, Japan has started releasing treated wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean. A decades-long process of discharging about 1.4 million tonnes of treated water began yesterday, despite opposition from some Pacific countries. The UN nuclear watchdog has deemed the plan safe, saying it would have negligible environmental impact. Pacific Islands Forum Secretary General Henry Puna says Japan made a sovereign decision to release the water and you know it is something that uh, we have been uh, in discussions and negotiations with japan for over two years and uh, so it's not a surprise yeah there might be regret but it's not a surprise that it is happening and i must say that uh, you know it is well within japan's sovereign rights to do what they're doing and i am assured by the commitment given by uh, Prime Minister of Japan that the release will not be uh, starting until Japan is satisfied that all safety measures have been taken and that the water will be safe, that uh, it will be safe for the citizens of Japan, but also for the citizens of the Pacific Island states. And that's a commitment that our leaders, I'm sure, we will be holding Japan to fully accountable should anything go wrong. So when IAEA re, uh, released its report, it said that it will uh, the uh, wastewater release, treated wastewater release, will have a negligible uh, impact on the environment. So, what's your comment on that? As an um, independent comment on that? Well, you know, uh, I can't argue with science. After all, we all agree that you know, in many ways, science in- informs how we do things. Um, so, if the science says that you know it will be negligible effect on the water. And then, you know, who am I to argue with that? I know, you know, there will be some concerns about our, you know, from our communities. And there's, that's based on our human, uh, you know, assumptions and thinking. But uh, the science is clear, according to the IAEA report. Although, of course, as I mentioned earlier on, there is a divergence of views, even among the scientists on this issue. And that is the reality, that there is no uniform agreement on, on this issue. You know, I'm assured and our leaders are assured by the commitment uh, and the guarantee from IAEA that they will be establishing a presence on the ground in Fukushima to continually monitor, you know, the safety of the water that is being released. And I, we're also holding Japan, Prime Minister and Government of Japan, to their commitment to the forum that uh, they will not allow the discharge to go ahead unless they are satisfied, uh, based on scientific evidence, 
that it is safe to do so. So we will continue to hold them to that commitment. And trust me, we will not fail in holding them to that commitment. Yeah, some strong words there. That was Pacific Islands Forum Secretary General Henry Puna speaking at a press briefing yesterday afternoon. And following on from that, let's take a quick look at all the other stories taking place across the Pacific region. And joining me to do that this morning is Pacific Beat producer Evan Wazuka. Evan, how are you this morning? I'm good, Kyle. Great to be here on a Friday morning. Great that it's Friday. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with that. Uh, now, up first, the Prime Ministers of Papua New Guinea, Fiji, Solomon Islands and Vanuatu, along with the leader of Flinks, have finished their meeting in Port Vila. What are some of the outcomes? That's right, Kyle. The Melanesian Spearhead Group meeting has been taking place across uh, uh, in Vanuatu's capital, Port Vila. Uh, so this was the first meeting since 2018, so there was, it's quite high profile. As you mentioned, Fiji's Prime Minister, Sitiveni Rambuka, James Marape from PNG, uh, Manasse Sogovare from Solomon Islands, and Ishmael Kalsakau were all there in one place. Um, so what exactly came out? It's still pretty hard to piece together because there was no official uh, statement or communique after that event, which ended yesterday evening um, there was a, a, a event last night where the Prime Minister of Vanuatu gave out uh, a final address but uh, so this is what we know that um, one of the key things we had been expecting to come out of this Melanesian spearhead group uh, meeting was on the issue of West Papua's bid for membership. So the ULMWP, that's the United Liberation Movement for West Papua, they've been pushing for decades to become full members of the MSG. So um, we were expecting something to happen, but that didn't uh, come through at the meeting. What we do know is that, that that decision has been deferred to the Pacific Islands forum leaders. So the MSG has pushed that onto the forum leaders to decide on, on the issue of West Papua. Um, earlier in the week, we had Benny Wenda, who is the leader of ULMWP. He came, he gave an address at, at the meeting, but, uh, interestingly, we saw that the Indonesian delegates, they walked out of that meeting. Uh, so that's still hanging, uh, in limbo, so to speak, on West Papua. Uh, over the meeting, there were two declarations signed. One was on climate change, which encouraged leaders to recommit themselves to robust action. Uh, when dealing with climate change. And that declaration also included something on the release of um, that uh, treated nuclear wastewater in Japan. It talks about, uh, it called on countries. It did not specifically name Japan, but it said that uh, it urged countries not to discharge harmful treated nuclear contaminated water into the Pacific Ocean. Uh, and the caveat for this was that uh, it said unless that treated water has been proven by scientists, then it is safe to do so. Um, and out of the MSG, the second declaration uh, was uh, signed. It aimed to advance the MSG security needs through dialogue, culture, and tradition. So this is about being neutral in the face of geopolitical competition. Again, Kyle, details of those two declarations haven't come out, so we're just piecing together what's been said publicly, and uh, hopefully more details will come to light. And we'll bring that to you as uh, as soon as it does. Moving on now, Evan, Tonga's Prime Minister is under pressure as MPs file a motion against him. Yes, so this is a report from Radio New Zealand International. Now, Kyle, as we all know, motions of no confidence are pretty common in the Pacific. 
over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about Vanuatu, where they're still contesting that one, and uh, we'll see what happens in Vanuatu. But uh, Radio New Zealand International is reporting that Tonga is now facing Tonga's leader is now facing one. So Prime Minister Siasi Sovaleni has been in power since the end of 2021. Now there's uh, appears to be some revolt within Parliament. Uh, not much detail as well on this story, but a motion has been filed for Parliament to debate a no motion of no a motion of no confidence. <laughs> Radio New Zealand International is reporting that eight MPs and two nobles are backing the motion. Tonga has a parliament of 26, so that's uh, close to half, but not quite. So it's a developing story. We'll keep an eye on that one, as well as the one in Vanuatu too. <laughs> we will indeed. And, uh, and finally, the dry weather in PNG is affecting parts of the country. What's happened? So we know that an El Nino weather pattern is looming for the region, but uh, already in PNG, we're starting to see the effects of the dry weather. Post-Korean newspaper is reporting that in the Middle Fly District in PNG's western province, there's issues with water supply, and up to 3,000 people across 28 villages are struggling to access water, with some walking as far as four kilometers uh, to get water supplies and that's because their water wells are drying, uh, you know, water tanks are going dry. Um, and it's because of this, it's forcing communities to take uh, risks by drinking unhealthy water supply. Um, so as a result of the dry weather, crops are also affected in garden, food gardens. It's forcing the communities to harvest their crops earlier than expected. So uh, some issues there coming out of Papua New Guinea as a real result of the dry weather. Yeah, really sad stuff. It, it makes you fear for what could be in store as the uh, the weather warms up over the next few months. Uh, Evan, thanks very much for joining me with Newswrap. Thank you, Kyle. That was Evan Wazuka joining me there with Newswrap. In the Fale is a brand new music show on ABC Radio Australia. Hosted by me, Paola Tukefu. I'll be spinning my favourite tunes from dancehall to disco, calypso to country, reggae to roots, and hip-hop to house music from across the era to keep the kids and the aunties happy. If it has a pumping groove, I'll be bringing it to you to bump you into the weekend. In the Fale, Fridays at 4pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Well, the Men's Basketball World Cup is about to tip off across Asia, but in the women's game, a Tongan is about to get her opportunity on the professional stage. Tonga's national women's captain, Lacilla Finau, has signed a professional contract in Portugal's Pro Liga competition. She signs following a decorated career at the US collegiate level and most recently starred for Tonga at the FIBA Polynesian Cup back in November. She also joins a very short list of Tongan women to join the professional ranks and to find out more about her new opportunity. She joins us on the line from the US now. Lucilla, welcome to the program. Hi, Kyle. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. And look, just on that, I was doing a, a Google yesterday afternoon and, and yeah, not a, long, not a lot of uh, uh, female Tongan national players with a documented professional career. Do you know of, do you know of any others or are you potentially the first? Um, there might be some that I know that have just recently followed me on Instagram. I think I know of one, but that's pretty much, uh, my knowledge on the info about the topic. 
Well, it just makes it uh, all the more uh, awesome story, and, and congratulations uh, again for doing this. Now, let's let's chat about it. So, CAB Madeira uh, is the club you have signed with uh, in Portugal's Pro Liga competition. Uh, tell us, how did it all come about? Um, so, basically, my agent had reached out to me, and it was between one of two countries, one being Malta and then the other being Portugal. Um, actually got on a Zoom call with all of the coaches and that's when they decided to um, send over a contract and that's how I got started with them pretty much. I've always wondered how the process works from uh, sort of the, the, the amateur ranks into the professionals because, you know, you're not that far out of your collegiate career. How did that process take place after wrapping up at college and just finding an agent and, and deciding that you wanted to, to play basketball professionally and getting your name out there? Is that all, is that all pretty tough? Yeah, um, thankfully, through some of my coaches, I learned that there wasn't agent that the one that I have now, he, he wanted to reach out to me. So I had to talk with him to see if he was the right fit for me. And then I, I instantly knew that he meant business. So, um, I took him on as my agent and then he immediately got to work and he's great with what he does. So I'm really happy about that. And he, he knows what he's doing. He's been in the business for a while. So I'm thankful that I got a, a great agent. So, and this particular competition and uh, and and this club out in Portugal, did did you have much um, information uh, about it? Had you heard of it before? Um, no, never. Uh, when my agent tells me um, about a team, I usually have to ask him the questions about like what's the name, where are they at, and then I basically just do my own research on the team, like. Uh, just looking at the roster, how they did in the previous years and like how I would fit into their style, like into their roster. And yeah, just seeing like not my competition, so to say, but kind of and just seeing where I would fit at within the team. Yeah, excellent. And when, where do you see yourself fitting in? Has there been uh, a- any guarantees of, a, you know, a, a starting spot or, or anything like that? Or is it very much just, um, you know, work hard and see what comes out of it? Yeah, there's no, there's definitely no guarantees. It's kind of like college. Um, you have to work to earn your spot. And at this point, it's, it's a job. So, you know, everyone's going to be competing. So that's what I'm excited and looking forward to. Um, they are looking to put me in the, in the point guard position, but, um, I'm not too sure because I think a lot of the girls are, might be a little bit smaller than me. So I don't know. We'll see when I get there. And is it a, is, is it a multi-year contract? No, just one year, uh, just this upcoming season. Oh, probably, probably a good good length of time to uh, to test the waters. Now, I wanted to talk uh, about your college career uh, in the US quickly. Um, you did four years. Uh, I think you did an you did an extra run as a graduate student. You've played in the NCAA tournament. Has your career thus far prepared you for the professional ranks? Do you think? Yeah, I believe so. Um, my first four years, I was at a Power Five, and there was just really good competition all like throughout my four years and then because of covid i had an additional year and i took that mainly to get my masters and you know just keep keep bouncing the ball you know and clearly that got me to where i am now so yeah i would i would say that college prepared me for the pros but i guess i won't know until i go out there really now did you come from a from a basketball family 
Um, no, actually. My my mom actually played soccer, and I think she swam when she was little. And then I think my dad played football. I'm not too sure. Um, so not really surrounded by basketball. The one who really got me into it was my brother when he used to play at the playground with his friends at school. And so that's that's the reason why I wanted to start playing. And then once I got older, that's when it started to get a bit more. I started to get a bit more serious about it. Yeah, I mean, look. Uh, one thing I do know from basketball it can be a hard game to excel at if you if you sort of you don't have that, I guess, family influence. How did you, um, you know, become so so successful? Was it just something that you loved as soon as you picked up a ball? Yeah, and then just the countless hours being on the court, just wanting, just always wanting to play, and always being at practice. You know, just day in and day out. It's it's just all the work that I've put into it, really, that I think has gotten me to where I am today. Now, as we were discussing before, you've got that first pro contract. You'll be heading to Portugal soon. How do you think you're going to adapt to uh, to, to living in Europe? Is is that something that you're, you're looking forward to? Oh, yes. I'm very excited to go. Um, I've been to Italy twice, um, but I've never been to Portugal. So I'm excited to see what life is like out there and just how I'm going to be on my own in, in a new country. Um, and I'm sure my mom and family will come out to visit very soon. Oh, 100%. Is there, uh, what about the, you know, the coach of the team, teammates? I know, I know that uh, a lot of these European clubs, they will often get players from, from places like the US and Australia and other parts of the world. But in terms of language barriers, is that something that's, uh, that could potentially be challenging when, you know, trying to figure out a playbook and things like that? Um, for just, just a little bit, um, Portuguese is actually very similar to Spanish and I took Spanish in high school and I've actually been working on my Portuguese lately so hopefully it's not it's not too too much of a trouble <laughs> Now, I want to talk about your international career for a second with Tonga. You obviously played for Tonga at the Polynesian Cup uh, last year. You were one of the best players in the tournament as well, averaging about uh, about 26 points per game. How, do you, uh, how did you find the experience of, of playing for your country? Was that something that you'd always wanted to do? Oh, yeah. It was definitely um, very special. Uh, my dad had passed a few months um, prior, and so I really wanted to do it for him. And just make him proud and just do something that I've always wanted to do. And it's, so it was something that happened to be what I love doing. So that's what made it an even easier decision to make. Now, I know you've got a professional career. You're going to have to, you know, probably put at the top of your priority list going forward. But is playing for Tonga again something that you'd like to do uh, in the future? Yes, I would love to because um, they did... Uh, treat me with just such love and respect um, just from jump and me being the captain I think I, I should definitely set a standard and be present whenever it comes to those types of um, when it just comes to the team but it, I think it may be difficult with this new contract that I have now. And I'm, I'm interested to know, I mean, you've played collegiately in America. I'm sure you've played against some of the top players in the country, some of whom are probably in places like the WNBA and WNBL and, and, and leagues like that. How did you find the, the standard of play um, within the Pacific? Is there, is there much talent within the Pacific, do you think? Um, it was definitely different, just a different style of basketball. Um, I would say that the talent wasn't as as good as the college level, but 
because of just, I would, I guess I would say just more resources and more awareness being brought to the women's sports world. I think there's definitely an opportunity to get better. No, I think a lot of people would 100% uh, agree with you on that one. And it's great to see the game developing uh, in the Pacific. Uh, Lucilla, we've got time for, for one more question. When will you officially uh, move over to Europe? Is that something that's going to happen uh, within the coming weeks? Yes, I actually leave uh, next week, the week to be exact. So I'm pretty excited. <laughs> so the countdown is, is well and truly on. Uh, Lucilla, that's all we've got time for today, but thank you so much for joining us on Pacific Beta and good luck for, for your upcoming professional career. I hope, I'm sure that uh, it's going to be a successful one and we'll make sure, uh, sure to follow you and to, to continue to bring your story to Pacific Beat. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Not a problem. That was Lucilla Finau, a Tongan basketball player who's just about to start her career in the professional ranks. She'll be playing for CAB Madeira in Portugal. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Well, you might remember that Vitalina Nacorde made history earlier this year by becoming the first Fijiana Endura player to secure a rugby league contract in Australia's top rugby league competition, the NRLW. Now, she's showing that her try-scoring ability isn't just limited to one code. She's had a blistering start with her career to the North, with the North Queensland Cowboys, helping the competition newcomers to their first ever win in their inaugural season last month. Now, she has set her sights on doing something that very few players have done before. Her 14th gets the ball away to Willowen Ingilla. Willowen Ingilla gives it to Nakore. Is that the title? She was the grand final hero in 2022, scoring a hat-trick of tries to lead the Fijiana Endura to the Super W crown. 12 months on, Vitalina Nakore is making headlines again. Only this time, it's in the National Rugby League Women's Competition for the North Queensland Cowboys. Before, I have no idea about this football league. I always played union in my life, yeah. I didn't know anything about league. I came here, everything they teach me how to <laughs> tap and but the only thing they told me the man the man the management they told me just take the ball run that's all now peters wants it right hand side oh, oh Corey! what a finisher she hated the advice after starting the season on the bench, she scored two tries in just her second game. The performance caught the eye of her coaches, who kept her in the run-on squad the following week for the club's first ever home match in Townsville. I didn't know that I'm going to get two tries on that day. Coach Ben, he told me that you're so good and attack and defence, and he trusts me, so he put me in the first lineup on the next game uh, against the Broncos. Since then, the 22-year-old has played all but one match and will return to the starting 13 this Saturday after being rested last weekend. Although her form has cooled off a little since her electrifying start, head coach Ben Jeffrey says her future in the game is bright. She's coming here on a multi-year deal and really happy how she's progressing. Obviously, Crossing over from union to league is can be quite different, especially in the defensive side of things. So she seems to be grasping it quite well. And she's obviously a long-term project opposed to just being a one-hit wonder. And probably the climate, that's probably helped in some way. Lifestyle and climate is quite relaxed here. And 
obviously his home climate as Fiji in some way, being in Townsville, so they're used to the heat, so it's not a problem for him as well. Vitalina was one of two Andrua players to join the Cowboys in the off-season, the other being 28-year-old Mariloesi Rocco-Uno, who has yet to play a game. Ben says Vitalina is forging a pathway for more Fijians to make the switch to rugby league. Her try-scoring ability in rugby union stood out. That's why we brought, brought her to the club. Obviously, her age, she's at the start of her career, opposed to being at the back end of her career. So if we can assist in getting her better, we could see a huge future for her and other young Fijian athletes moving into the female format. Vitalina, though, has bigger plans. After representing Fiji at the 2021 Women's Rugby World Cup, she hopes to do the same at the Rugby League Women's World Cup. While she still loves rugby union, she says rugby league is where she'll stay. Drua and coach told me I have a contract, so he was just waiting for me after the Super W. And then I was confused. I'm just thinking, I want to come or not. And I just want to try how it feels because I didn't know anything about league. So I trust myself just to take grab that opportunity to come. Here. Dib has been magnificent. Oh, what a kick! Nakore has a double! And didn't that trust pay off? That was Vitalina Nakorde ending that report there. And she'll be back in action this weekend when the North Queensland Cowboys face the Parramatta Eels in Sydney. Well, 80 medals. That's the number Solomon Islands are shooting for at the Pacific Games in November. And preparations are now firmly underway to try and achieve it. 80 of the nation's top athletes have commenced a 90-day training program in China. They were handpicked from a pool of 650 participants, and they make up the largest ever team of athletes the Solomon Islands has ever sent abroad. Table tennis hopeful Selwyn Kotu Jr. was among those selected, and I spoke to him on the phone earlier. To be honest, it's uh, it's my first time to to feel this kind of feeling in another country. It's, it's it's a very good experience. So you play table tennis. What kind of things have you been doing over yeah. in China since you arrived? Like, what's your what's your average day look like at the moment? Every every day, what we what we are doing right now is in the morning around at seven o'clock we'll have our breakfast. And then after breakfast, we'll come back and rest for at least one hour, 30 minutes. And then at 8.50, we will uh, make our way to the training hall. And then from the training hall, we will train until it's uh, 12 o'clock. We come back for to have our lunch break. And then we will wait until three o'clock in the afternoon and then we will go back and then train, 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 train. It sounds really full on. Is it? Is it really high intensity training? Yes, yes. It's a very high intensity training here in China. To, when we were still back, back in the Solomons, what we normally do is just we'll wait until in the evening and then we'll go and do our training. But here in China, no. Starting from, from the morning, we'll train until in the evening. Yes, yeah, so it's 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 to me is it's more like a high intensity training. Like I said before, you play table tennis, and you're probably in the best country in the world to get the best table tennis training. What kind of techniques yeah. do the Chinese offer? We, we learn all the basic basic techniques uh, on table in table tennis, but then if we if we learn one basic techniques 
and then we don't perfect it by today or tomorrow we will continue to we will continue to do the same one until we perfect it and then we'll move to another one and what are the chinese players like are they are they very talented we never played with a chinese player yet just yet here but then uh, it's just our coach that we 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 normally train with from for me the chinese players are they are on another level and then if we play against them then they will win the match <laughs> Now you're 31 years old, and you're going to be entering your uh, your first Pacific Games when they get underway in November. What 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 does that mean yeah. to you to be able to to represent uh, your country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'm so excited. That is why I, I came here to train because I I really want to make a history for the country, especially with this sport, Solomon Islands table tennis. And have you mm. been playing table tennis all your life? I have been playing yeah, since I was a kid, but then due to uh, studies, I left table tennis and then after I completed my bachelor, I came back and then I started to play table tennis again. But uh, now I'm, 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 I'm representing the country. I grew up with a table tennis table, but I, yeah. uh, I, never, I was never very, very good at it. How did you get so good? Um, it's just uh, because when, when I came, when I, after finishing my studies, I came back and then I have heard that uh, Solomon Island will be the host for Pacific Games in 2023. Mm-hmm. So I started to to be more compassionate and to to build my passion on, on this sport. After this 90 days of training in China, do you think you'll go back to the Solomon Islands as a as a better player? Yeah, yeah. After this uh, 90 days in China, um, I'm I'm going to be a better player more than when I was still in the Salt Islands. Yeah, wow. And so far, so far, I can I can tell that yeah, I'm 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 improving from my from my previous style of play. Well, um, I, I've read a few reports that uh, the Solomon Islands is aiming for uh, 80 medals at the uh, at, at the Pacific Games. Do you think you guys uh, have a, have a good chance? Um, that's a very tricky question, right? Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, other countries are also preparing for that for the for the games. We came here at, uh, July, and then we don't know if we don't know if those other countries are already in high intense training since since 2018 on. Out of curiosity, what what are the other really good table tennis nations in the Pacific? Um, I think Australia will be one. We went for a, for a competition uh, at uh, Melbourne last year in September, and then I've I've seen that uh, Australia is is uh, is uh, the country that is so good in table tennis, especially in the Pacific region. You mentioned that your yeah. your father passed away while you were in high school. Would he be very proud that you're that you're competing in the Pacific Games this year? Um, I think yes, because one thing that he always stressed when when he 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 said stuff to me is like you have to concentrate on studies first. But then now I'm 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 already a, a government officer in the Solomon Islands, and then and then playing table tennis as well. So I think yeah, he'll be proud because one of his uh, goals I've already achieved. That was Solomon Islands table tennis hopeful Selwyn Kotu speaking with me from China. 
And that does bring us to the end of Pacific Beat. We'll be back at the same time on Monday morning. That's 6 a.m. PNG time. You can also hear us again this afternoon at 3 p.m. PNG time. I've been your host, Kyle Evans. Thanks very much for joining me.